It cost me money and this church money to send me to Cambridge University to do the course. I picked it because of the interest of the church of God. But when I picked it, I found out that many things I've been teaching has been analyzed intellectually. So I began to tell you about leadership, origin of leadership from intellectual reasoning, great men's theory, which is the heroic leadership. And you will find that across the board of existence of civilization, we went detailed into what great man's theory is, what is the heroic leadership. Then we went into traits leadership, that is trait theory. I help you to understand what the intellectuals call trait theory and how it applies to Christianity. Then from trait theory, there is a general consensus. When you are ready, tell me. You are not ready. Is it recording me now? You see yourself now. I'm talking to fill your gap. When you want to record, you say, one, two, three, zero. You need training. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me uh, uh, auto reverse and then speak. What I'm saying to us is, well, you are very welcome to the CFT um, Leaders Retreats for the 29th Convention. What we have been discussing, today is the last day, what we have been discussing for the past five days, we started our day by looking into vision and the reason for vision. And we saw that vision is a broad statement and so robust. I would discover that a vision without an expression that is a summary of it could be a vision unfulfilled. So comes the mission statement. Your mission statement is an expression or a summary expression of your robust vision, which will contain your core values and the vision. It is a reminder to everyone who will work in the industry, why are we here? What are we to do? Why are we doing those things? So that everybody can walk towards a common goal. And for church, ministers need to know their vision, and they need to let the church know it and also know the mission statement. So that the core values of the church is understood by everybody who comes to the church, which informs the mannerism in which they behave. And of course... They will understand the structure and the governance. Today I want to talk about governance. But for the past two days I spoke to you about the origin of um, um, leadership. We found out that leadership is the most instrument to help any business grow or to help any organization thrive. It is the leadership. Now when we looked at the leadership from intellectual reasoning, we have what is called the great man's theory, which is the heroic leadership. You have several of them in the Bible, like Noah, like Abraham, beginning from Adam. Like Moses, like Elijah. And heroic leadership are the type of leadership who confronted some issues of their day which ordinary person will not confront, and they brought a revolution. And in such leadership, we recognize that it is only about the leader and everybody follow. 
And in such leadership, other leaders cannot be born by influence of the hero because they acclaim the hero as the main symbol in the organization, in the nation. In our time, we have people like Mandela, people like um, um, Gandhi and the rest of them. I told you about Hitler, but he, he, he inspired people into a catastrophe. He is also, you know, uh, a great man leader within the definition of great man leader. Now you understand what great man leader is. If you are the one leading the church and then everybody is following you, you are just a great man leader. What happens to them? Their tenure always terminates. After them, nothing happens thereafter. But now we look at trait theory, which is a theory that people are born leaders. And they have some traits that people can claim to be traits for leadership. However, we have also the behavioral theory, which believes that people can be trained to be leaders. You don't necessarily have to be born leader. All the traits of leadership can be made through a leader into others. And from that trait theory, from the, from the behavioral theory, we began to see a little insight about team operations. Leadership is not about one man, it's about a team. And then we went into the, um, the um, after the behavior theory, we looked at uh, the, um, not transformational theory, not transactional theory, contingency theory. We looked at contingency theory. Contingency theory is the theory where a leader will look at the fragile of everyone, number one, and he will just fill it up. Or he will look at this inborn strength and use the team member in the area. That is contingency. Then we have the transactional theory, which is the theory of many boss in offices. It is about, I employed you, I gave you a job, delivered. How you did it, they don't care. And you and I can know that any person who does that, or any company, anybody who is in a company that does that, is only concerned about today, and they cannot have a long-term plan, which means their vision die when they die, which means such type of leadership cannot create other leaders, because it does not give opportunity for other leaders to make blunders, to improve training, facilitating, and all stuff like that. So we recognize that transactional theory is bad. And of course, we see it in the church of God. You know, hire, fire. You can't do it, slack. They will not give you understanding of how it should be done. You are paid for it, you should know it. That kind of stuff. And then we have the transformational theory, which we all began to identify with that. It is the most sensible thing for anyone who is successful to do. One of the things I teach you in this conference is who will take over from you. If you are a pastor... And you have passed on for two years or three years. If you do not have people that you have raised within that three years who can fill in your gap on the pulpit, you have a problem. Within three years. Within three years is too much. Which means you have not discipled anybody. To disciple someone is to make your replica in them. And so 
We discover that transformational theory is very, very good for ministers because it's a theory that has a vision and gets with people and says, this is our vision, not my vision. Transformational theory is a theory that says that the leader will introduce the vision to the people and help the people to own the vision. It will train to empower people where they lack. It will equip for them to function. And he will release for them to operate. So that he creates enabling environments for them to use what they learned and also use their IQ. Okay? So at the end of the day, is everybody who is successful, not the pastor. So in transformational theory, Somebody who has no ability, the leader will train them in the areas that they do not have ability. We discovered also that the leader of a transformational, you know, in transformational theory, more very assertive, especially to people who are who have low self-esteem. You must not pack them off and say that they are useless. They are useful because by behavioral theory, you can train them into the traits. But then the most, which is the kingpin of it, is the last one, which is servant leadership theory. Now, what I'm teaching you, if any one of you do it in your office, you cannot do it for two years without getting promotion. Because your work and ability as a leader will transcend your immediate boss. All right? When you pray for promotion, it's easy for God to promote you if you know what you're doing. I will together now. Servant leadership is the first priority of Christians in church. You are leader to serve, not to boss over people. And servant leadership is such that it's of Christ. And it is from servant leadership that transformational leadership ensued. Because a servant leader will transform the life of his team members. Isn't it? Because a servant leader, everybody in the team wants to work with you. Everybody is happy when you are around. Because they know that if they make mistakes, they can always go to you, you give them solutions. So we have the five attributes for servant leadership and transformational leadership to be effective. I will ask you to tell me those five core areas. Traits. Style, skill, no, knowledge, no, I gave you the action and style. Go bring your paper out and look at the graph. Bring it out and look at it. Yes, look at it there now. So what's the first one written there? And the next one? The next one? And? And? It's interesting that your trait is mentioned last. When I go into high impact leadership, which is the latest leadership theory now, which has been developed by CEOs, 
that have taken companies from zero to billions. I was just listening to the man who transformed Unilever about 30 minutes ago. And in the lecture, people asked various questions when I was talking. What I asked him is, what is your greatest challenge? What is your greatest external factor challenge? You will understand what I mean. And how did you overcome it? He turned Unilever around. Now, he now thought that if I can turn Unilever around, why can't I start my own company? So he started his own company and now he's looking for 50 million. Okay, he turned two big, big, big companies around. He founded two big companies under Unilever in America and in England that have become billions. And now he just felt that, I mean, if I can do this for my company, why can't I do it for myself? So he now started his own organization. You need to know this. If you cannot succeed in another man's organization, you will fail in your organization. Are we together now? Yes, sir. So we recognize the fact that transformational leadership and servant leadership, number one, the leader must have skill, appropriate skill for their job. You know, an organization is massive, and each one of you who are, if you, if you are the overseer, you are like the CEO, every branch church has stakeholders, internal stakeholders. And in, in a corporate organization, you will have like human resources is a stakeholder, audits stakeholder, Personnel, stakeholder, management, stakeholder, production, stakeholder, marketing, stakeholder. And you find all these departments in the organization. They are internal stakeholders. Now, you yourself as a pastor will look at your church and you have ushering department, you have a, 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 a music department, you have technical department, video and audio, you have social media department, you have your administration department, you have your account department, and all these departments. They are internal stakeholders. Okay? Then external stakeholders are like governments. Because every church is under a law of a government. Alright? Like your immediate neighborhood. Okay? The immediate neighborhood are external stakeholders. Because these are your consumers. Alright? Now, I want to talk much about this in the last lecture. Where we look at your value chain, what that means in the church, and you can apply it to your company. When I talk about high impact leadership, but however, we stopped during this week on yesterday on the fact that a high impact leader is someone who, in his concepts, <coughs> of achieving the common goal of the company, he has in his concept consideration for external factors. Environmental, it could be to your own operation. It could be legal and governmental. It could be um, crime factor. It could be immigration factor. It could be Boko Haram. And it could be Fulani Hasman. 
factors that are external that poses challenge to your vision. It could be financial lack of finance. It could be technological advancement. Of course, technological advancement, you will see when we look at that, it affects everybody. Revolution in technology. Any leader who cannot address those issues and turn those challenges to strength will fail in the future. It will fail. Because high impact leadership, it's about you have a vision and you can move your own internal shareholders or your own internal organism equally to achieve the vision without neglecting the end users, external stakeholders. All right? But have equipotential effect downline of every leadership. That is you, and under you are departments, and under the, on the department are other leaders that, that surrender to you, and in each department are various levels of leadership. A high-impact leader is a leader who achieves his goal in the main top, but it is effective equally down line to the grassroots, and that is Jesus for you. Now, let me help you to understand that you cannot affect a change in a company if you are invited to come and be a manager or a director in a company and you are going for an interview. The first thing that you will do is to research about that company. Is that correct? Because when you get to the company, you are not going to, they are not going to be asking you questions. They will be asking you, who are we? What is this company to you? All right? And they'll ask you, you know, you want to be a director in this company. Tell us what is the problem we have. How can you solve it? Do you know about our values? Okay. Is our values correct? Is our, our values in alignment with our intention? What's the problem? So a person who will go there for will go and investigate. What do you investigate? Number one, what is the structure? Number two, what is the governance? Number three, what are the core values? Then before you go into the very section you are going to be heading, how does that section or what part in the mainframe vision does that section handle, are responsible for? Then, how have they been, what are their strategies that they have been adopting to fulfill their part of the vision? Are they innovative? Are they just robotic? That whatever they say is what they do. Do they come with innovation to better their strategies? Then, you now look at what are the other sections in internal operation that their action directly affect or indirectly affect. And then you look at their approach today, does it enhance success in those other organizations, other arm of the organization that they affect, or does it hinder 
to our staff for their vision. And those that indirectly have it. Have a look at all that, then you now look at, okay, what we are, they are doing in this company. How does he address the challenges of external stakeholders? What is the major problem the environment is posing against them? What is the major problem finance is posing against them? If there is a financial crisis, will it affect the company? Everyone they are connected with externally, how will problem happening with those people affect them? Have they, have they as a company synergized with other stakeholder organizations outside that are competing with them? What about the competitors? How do they affect your own reasoning? Okay. Do they have enough synergy with competitors as to learn from those who are doing it better and bring better values into their company? Or maybe we have to merge with them, with them in this area so that we have a consensus of production like Samsung and uh, Samsung and uh, well, what do they call them? You know, one was just, a merger was just, uh, just fell through very recently. Now, therefore, a church who does not have such orientation in leadership, you will only minimally be, uh, you, you, you will, you will, um, um, you will strive to exist. Do you understand me? And if you are, a, if you are a manager or you want to be a director in the company, if you can't think the way I'm thinking, forget it. The prayer won't bring you there. These I'm giving to you, I've given you in writing, and I'll give you more tonight, today in writing. Therefore, this is Christ with Tabernacle. We have, have dealt with who is Christ with Tabernacle. How did Christ with Tabernacle come about? Now, what is the structure of Christ with Tabernacle? Let me tell you, we have all this in your book, handbook. Christ with Tabernacle structure. You have the general overseer, who is Apostle Williams. I hope he is. And under that structure, you have the assistant general overseer, which is occupied by Reverend Omar Williams, because they were the two who were together when Jesus appeared and gave the vision of Christ with Tabernacle. One saw it, the other one supported. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Under them are the administrators in one arm and trustees in another arm. Why do we have trustees? Trustees are the custodian of law governance, compliance to law. Administrators are the um, trustees, spiritual, who should oversee administration compliance. And administrators may not have to be pastors. They may not have to be apostles and prophets. They may not have to be trustees as in the law registration. Because their duty is administrative compliance, so they have to be professionally qualified. Accountants, to make sure that audit is balanced. Or directors in some companies, so that they can bring the skill of administration on board. 
everyone in, who is appointed administration has his skill together with the local pastor. But this structure is now, is a structure for all CFT branches. So it means that there are some CFT branches that already are matured enough to occupy it. Because structure is not what, does not mean that it's a, you, if it, on the ground it exists, it is a, an imaginary, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, diagram of what you ought to be. So in the church, in the churches that are just starting, you can fill the pastor's place, but you may not feel administrator. You don't have qualified people to do it. You can You don't just appoint people to do serious. For for the trustees, which are legal trustees, no church can register because it's already registered, and that is our practice. One registration in one country covers everybody. All right. And I'll tell you the advantage of that. You will not have two Unilever registration in the United Kingdom or two HSBC registration in the United Kingdom. And what that means is that one central board of qualified people, both spiritually and professionally, handle the area of spiritual governance and administrative governance for the whole churches. So the pastor now can face his own or her own job. But in each church, too, are administrators. And understand, the pastor doesn't just wake up and name administrators. No. The governance is that the national administrators will appoint administrator for each church. It's different from deacon or deaconess. Because your administrator will have to pass through the tests of Christ with Tabernacle in qualification. It's not a graceful office that let me, uh, he's very good, let me put him there. No, 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 no. He must be qualified because we'll ask him professional questions. Should any issue happen between the church and the outside stakeholder, government, in your area, that person, those people, administrators, can go and stand before them. We have queries about your audits and they can answer. We have queries about your legal compliance, and the one with the lawyer can stand. Oh, we have queries about your style of management. Then the one who is the director somewhere, who has the knowledge. When we talk about technical terminologies, they know it. So that our church is not a perfect church. We are in compliance everywhere. And I'm going to show you in a minute in the Bible. So you have, you have that structure. And then you have under the administrators and trustees, the next level, you have board of elders. And board of elders are, are concerned about spiritual administration only of a parish. They are concerned with the spiritual administration of the parish to make sure that all organisms are running fine, to make sure that every prayer is being conducted, they are in every prayer. They are in every night vigil. I will look at that in a minute, uh, Elder. They are in every night vigil. They are in every spiritual things. Elders. So therefore, anybody appointed to be an elder, resting on his shoulder is to prove himself a proof workman. You must know Bible back and front. They can't come to elder, a member no Bible more than elder. That elder should be fired. Though you recognize that in church we hire only, we don't fire. 
Amen. Amen. So it means that if I'm appointed to be an elder, I will now make sure I prove myself by studying the word. And the elders council comprises of ordained pastors and elders. Not all pastors are automatically elders. Because elder has to do with age as well. Maturity and age. Someone can be ordained and the pastor is not matured. He is ordained because he's called. And the calling manifests. So someone don't say that because I'm an associate pastor, I am an elder. No, 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 no. It doesn't come. They invite you to that club. But if you are appointed an elder, you carry that uh, responsibility immediately. Now we're going to be looking at the quality of elders later on. I'm talking about structure. And under the elders, you have deacons and deaconesses, the diaconate. The deacons and deaconesses, their job ensued from the book of Acts chapter 6. Their job is to oversee cleaning of the church. You know, bulb is missing in the church, they fix it. They are in departments, they make sure that that department is running purposefully. All right, according to the core values of the church, they are the service agents. Because in the Bible, uh, uh, Dickens came up in chapter 6 of Acts because people were sharing food. Like we are here now, we, are, we have to eat. To go and share food, tabernacle women are there. They are the job of Dickens and Dickenesses. The place is not littered, the toilet is cleaned, the church is in place for the spiritual to take place. And so, if you look at this, all this leadership, none of all of them, the demand of, uh, the spiritual demand for all of them is equal with the pastor. That's the demand for them. You can't find dignities quarreling somewhere, fighting somewhere, inciting problems somewhere. It should be removed. How are we together now? It should be removed. Because they are supposed to be people who are spiritually sound. The Bible gave two qualities. It said, full of the Spirit. All right? And also, wisdom or knowledge or insight or common sense. Yes, that's what the Bible says. So therefore, after the diaconate are the heads of departments, HODs. Head of department may be an elder, it may be a deacon, and it may be an ordinary member. That is saying that for anyone to be appointed to head a department, he must be skilled. You remember your five attributes for impact leadership. The first thing is that you must have skill over what you are designated. We cannot tell an elder to go and head choir. Who, when they press the key of A, if they say do, it will say do. When they say re, it will say do. Me, it will say do. Because in his own, every key is do. You can't, you can't make him head of choir. A person who is not musical, you can't, he doesn't have the skill. You can't make someone to go and head ushers who himself doesn't, is not, is not um, you know, in hospitality or, you know, you know smart uh, protocol. So when it comes to head of departments, we look at the function of the department and we look at the skill. 
of the persons and we appoint them. But it's possible that you have a church at the beginning, you don't have such skill, and somebody is appointed to look after. You must let them know the moment the skill appears, you have to be relieved. You are just anchoring it until the skill be manifest. The prophets were the one anchoring until Jesus Christ came. And when Jesus came, there was end to the law. Hallelujah, somebody. So, and under the heads of the department, you have various departments. And then you have the church members. That's the structure of Christ with Tabernacle. Now, let me help you understand. Our mission statement is demonstrating God's power through love and building overcomers for tomorrow. All right. If our first mandate is love, which is, that is what you are seeing there now on the board. We must have a structure and governance that ensued from these core values. We have our first core value is love. Our second core value is to build people. And building people covers spiritually, mentally, socially, and everything, family-wise and stuff. Therefore, we go to the next clip now. The Lord, by inspiration, gave me this diagram for church. I designed this so you can use it. It's my intellectual creation. I use Photoshop to design this then. Now, if you look at this, you have what I've told you, CFT General Overseer Headquarters. CFT General Overseer, if you look at the line of that, that is the pole. Then under him are the other hierarchies, which we term the Timothy. And under that is the branches. And under that is the person, a member, who is a leader. And the yellows are three categories of membership. One category we call James. Second, we call John, and the rest we call members. I wish I have my touch. What, uh, what you multimedia people have to do now is that you have to turn this to dynamic operation so that when I speak, you put an arrow there. Yes? I didn't hear you. Good. All right. But now, for every one of us here, I want us to look at this one now as applicable to each parish. Why we use this to look at the international organogram, the general quarters with the, uh, we call that Presbytery Council. Presbytery Council sits in England. And it's a representation of some people who were in the church from scratch, from beginning. The, the list of the Presbyterian Council have been in this church for 28 years. 
So they know the church. They master the church. They are the church. The church develop, they develop into the structure. And they can take this off their head. And the Presbyterian Council is like the general synod, or like into the general synod of the, of the Anglican church. So, we will invite those who become bishops of each country into this synod. Because they are the ones who represent the interests of the nation that they oversee. When we have several branches in each nation. And then underneath them are the, uh, other the synod, are the Timothys, who are the national leader. So anybody appointed as the bishop of a nation becomes the Paul of that nation. And under him are people who are Timothys. They are the ones trained to occupy that position when he passes on. And these Timothys will be people who have churches under them. They are also overseers. But they are, look, they are overseers of states, of county, of cities, and under the cities are several branches. And then you have the Peters, who are, you know, sub-territorial leaders. They are branches under them, but not a city. And then you have pastors who are Jameses and Johns, According to their ladder. Now, when somebody comes into Christ with Tabernacle Parish, you see, it's under the James, you will see four yellow stars. That stands for members who just came to church. And these members who just came to church are under a star that has red around it, which is a James. And under, on the top of James's 1 and 2, is a man called Peter. Directly under Peter are two blue stars called John. Yes? Now you know that our first call is love. So how do we care for everybody who comes to our church? It is by pairing them with those who are existing. Mm. If we pair those who come to church with those who are existing, then the one who is existing in church, who is now their pair, he knows everything in the church. So when they need anything, they don't need to be looking for telephone. They can just call their pair and say, look, this is, um, these are the things that are my concern. I want this, I need this, and stuff like that. And that one will communicate it right, and it will be delivered. And those ones are the gems. So people that we have trained to become gems, First of all, let me say this. People come as yellow ordinary members. We pair them together. Then we train them to become um, the, the Peter man there. You know, who he has 12 people under him. You know, that is the, the pink lady there. Is it pink they call that? Is it pink or fisher? I've created dichotomy. I have just created dichotomy. Now, whatever the case may be, whatever the case may be, the one that look different, <laughs> that has red inside it, I'm, yes, exactly, he has red and blue. He carries the John and the James, and he is a senior. 
That is the kind of Peter, like Peter, the disciple of Jesus Christ. Under him can be 12 members. Two of the members, he had trained them from John. He trained John. When a member comes in, they are under James. James trained them. When they are graduated, James will become Peter. And those small members, yellow, will become John. Where Peter will train them directly to become Jameses. They will get it now. One, two, three, four, five. Stand up. Come up. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. These two people, these ideas, those two people just joined the church. These two people just joined the church. I am the leader of this team. All right? So I trained this man. And now he can oversee these four people. He's my James. Now, all of you who I'm training here, I have trained him to a height of level that he can occupy my office as Peter. But now, to put that into test, he has to administer and manage these four people and disciple them. All right? Why I would look for, you are new people, I would look for this man and this man, and I'll begin to train them as I train him. So that these two people, John, are my John, can in the future when our group grow, become Jameses. Do you get it now? Are we? Okay. Okay. He was in my group. And I was training him as I take, look, as I train every one of you. Let me reflect your mind back to um, 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 behavioral theory. Okay, so when I'm training you, I'm evaluating you. This man has aptitude to catch things up. This man, I'm still working on him. He's slow. Maybe he doesn't have, he has low self-esteem. This one has the acumen to learn quick. This one has, um, you know, anything you give him is what he delivers. He doesn't do more. But he will deliver a good. But this man... You give him something, he has the gift, but he doesn't have confidence in himself. Okay? This man came like that, but now he has confidence. Now, he will do what I give him, and he will do more by his initiative. So, this man has graduated to be James. Now, when new people come, I can't send him to go and oversee them, because I'm still training him. I can't send him because he will deliver what I give him, and that's all. And I'm still training him to use initiative, build up his initiative to do better. He, I'm still training him to believe in himself, so that what he has in himself, which is good, which he doesn't recognize, can begin to come out. So I will use this man who has now grown to go and oversee them, because this man has been trained and the traits are now manifest. So he becomes the James. Then once he becomes the James, I have two Jameses. Another James go for another set of people. I will now want concentrate on these people because I want to turn them to John, uh, to, to, to James. They are John. So I look at the areas of their weaknesses 
I equip them, train them, push them, encourage them, you know, inspire them, give them more than what they can bite, and push them to do it, and tell them that, you see, now you can do it. You know, you can do more. You see, you can do what you are supposed to do until they, he has confidence in himself. And I say, what else can I do? I say, okay, do this, do this, do this. He does it. He says, okay, you know, what you gave me, I've done it, but I've done this. And I say, okay. So they are growing to become my James. All right? Whereas this James is now training four people, and this James is now training four people, and I am training these two people. So as new people come in, I begin to assign them to these people so that I begin to train them to manage four. So, he has four people. He has four people making how many? Ten. He has four people. He has four people making how many? No. Eight and ten. Well, they are ten, ten, really. Four, four, ten. Four, four, ten. We are now twenty. So now that we are 20, I will now break these people away. This man becomes Peter, where I was. This man becomes Peter, where I was. I take this John, put him under him. Take this John, put him under him. And then other people, I build the, 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 the um, uh, line down. So this man now is independent. I just oversee. This one, James, independent. I oversee, it's not Peter. These two are seen directly under me, but they are James. But they have four under them. And that is how church grows. You can see that, please. In this structure, you will see the application of the theories I've taught you, the transformational theory, the servant leader theory, you use the approach, the good approach of the behavioral theory, okay? Having said that, look at the next slide. The next slide now tells you, as a pastor, your responsibility. It says in, in, in church formation, the most important thing is to get the structure right. Let me know my time, please. 